0: Hello, my name is Joe Faulkner, and welcome to the Flexible Mind Therapy Podcast. I'm using a little different setup today, so hopefully this will come across uh, nice and clearly. Um, As a third part of our discussion on exploitation and victimization, we'll look at efforts to foster prevention of opportunities for exploitation and victimization of individuals with ASD. And we'll start with the first aspect of training, which is specifically around training for the individual with ASD themselves. It's more important that we're aware of potential benefits of addressing these areas at different times during development rather than seeing these as a rigid list. Uh, By understanding the potential benefit of working on these areas, we'll find the time to work on these things in activities that we're currently doing. Many of these areas that we'll discuss today can and already are worked on throughout development. Uh, I'll expand on some of the areas, but There are some that we'll save for later discussions and some we've just already discussed. Uh, We'll follow up this training with another that focuses on training for staff who work with or may, may potentially work with individuals with ASD, as well as for families of individuals with ASD. I'll also be doing a podcast fairly soon on trauma and working with trauma in individuals with ASD. Now, as I said, today we're going to be focusing on uh, efforts for prevention. And really, prevention is about creating an environment that's incompatible for victimization for individuals, uh, as well as that creates an environment that's incompatible for the perpetrator to victimize the individual in. Uh, And we're going to focus on training of the individual today. Now, the first aspect of training is one that for many people... Uh, happens as a part uh, that's incidental to other aspects of their lives. Uh, We often call these things self-esteem or uh, self-worth, but the area of training we're going to focus on here is understanding personal rights. And understanding that uh, every individual has basic human rights. Uh, In fact, the United Nations, in their 30 basic human rights, Uh, Acknowledges the following that are probably particularly salient for individuals with AST Um, The right to equality The right to freedom from discrimination uh, The right to recognition as a person before the law Right to marriage and family Right to freedom of opinion and information Right to participate in government and free elections Right to desirable work Uh, right to rest and leisure, and the right to education. Now, according to the World Health Organization, sexuality is a central aspect of being human. Throughout life, it encompasses sex, gender identities and roles, sexual orientation, eroticism, pleasure, intimacy, and reproduction. Sexuality is the essence of being a male or female. It is the lens through which a person views the world there are biological medical social psychological spiritual cultural and legal aspects to sexuality and these aspects differ depending on where when and how you live who is raising you and what is personally important to you now again the world health organization goes on to say that sexual rights embrace human rights which are recognized by national laws international human rights documents and other consensus documents. These include the right of of persons free of coercion, discrimination, and violence to receive the highest attainable standard of sexual health, to seek and receive information in relation to sexuality, acquire a sexual education, choose a partner, decide to be sexually active or not, uh, decide to have children uh, or not, And pursue a satisfying, safe, and pleasurable sexual life. Now, those rights often for many of us are taught within the context, again, of uh, self-esteem. And they they happen throughout life uh, without really even being directly taught. Individuals with autism may actually need to be directly taught these at different times. uh, Or these rights need to be um, overtly uh discussed with the individual with autism now there's also the right to non-comply or the right and ability to non-comply and the ability to say no is really quite powerful Uh, it's closely tied to concepts like autonomy independence self-advocacy and personal safety Recognizing situations when non-compliance or saying no is not only helpful but essential is a skill many individuals, including those with autism, need to learn. As we discussed in the first podcast on exploitation and victimization risks for individuals with ASD, prior training with individuals with ASD as they are growing up may reinforce an ingrained reliance, dependency, Or even submission uh, or obedience to authority figures or caregivers thus the right and more importantly the ability to say no and not comply with the coercive manipulative or abusive sexual behavior from others needs to be taught to individuals with uh, with ASD explicitly now another right uh, and responsibility is really rights and responsibilities around consent and Consent for sexual interaction can be a highly abstract and concept, uh, complex concept. Uh, consent is about reaching and being in agreement about which things we want to do or explore with others sexually and how we want to do or explore those things. It's also about what we don't want to do and what we don't want to uh, or when we don't want to do something. Those things may be physical activities such as kissing, uh, manual sex, or intercourse, or they may be things such as sending or sharing sexual texts, using or not using safer sex methods or contraception, or whether we're okay with the words someone wants to use for our body parts. Really, this is uh, from Karina 2016, and I think this is a really good way of looking at uh, consent. Now, consent is also... Um, about our limits and boundaries, our no's or not that ways, as well as our wants and desires, our yeses and our I can have more of that, oh, pretty please. Uh, It's about everyone involved in any given sexual uh, interaction or potential sexual interaction about everyone, not just the one person. So it's about everyone being uh, consenting. Consent isn't something uh, we negotiate or give only once. It's something we're doing throughout sexual activity. If someone consents to one thing, it doesn't mean they're consenting to anything else, just to that one thing at that one time in that one way or context. Consent is always something we or others can revoke. Everyone always has the ability uh, or the absolute right to change their mind at any time, including after they've already said yes. Also, consent is only meaningful, including from a legal standpoint, when we and others can give it freely. Uh, We can't consent sometimes, such as when we are asleep, intoxicated, in severe physical or emotional distress, feel we may be harmed if we don't uh, consent, or don't even understand what someone else is asking us to do with them in the first place. So active consent is a shared responsibility of everyone engaging in or who wants to engage in any kind of sexual interaction. And consent, again, is only meaningful if it isn't coerced. Coercion is when someone says yes or otherwise gives consent to go along with something, not because they want to, but because they have been taught, they are talked or otherwise pushed into it or they have been made to feel that they don't have the right to say no. And coercion is not consensual. It's important that as we consider what topics to teach and or learn related to sexual health, that we make sure that individuals with ASD have opportunities to learn this nuanced subject about consent and ask and have answered any questions that they may have about it. Because this often can be a very confusing thing for uh, all individuals but for many individuals with with ASD so consent is a very important topic that's discussed really throughout development in different ways now again one way that uh, consent is uh, discussed is really around the next right and responsibility which is the right and responsibilities around touching and being touched it touches our earliest developing sense uh in fact it actually begins when we are still in the womb and since as humans were born both developmentally and physiologically immature touches the sense that we use to explore our environment really early on in our lives touches the way that moms uh, that mom uses early on to communicate safety the way that we're soothed and cared for as we grow up by parents and caregivers And one key way that we express intimacy with significant others in our lives. This becomes even more difficult to understand as we get older. Think of the waiter or waitress that touches us uh, as they take our order or the co-worker at the office who touches your back as he talks with you. These are two examples of many types of touch that occur throughout our days as adults. The rules around Uh, When we can touch and cannot touch, who can touch us and when, who we can touch and when, etc. are all very complex and change over the course of our lifetimes. Because of this, touching rules may be difficult to understand for everyone. Learning this complex and hidden curriculum can be an important part of our developing sexuality. It's very closely tied to concepts of consent again and may change based on a number of contextual features that have to be monitored. This may even be more complex for individuals with ASD who may be hypersensitive, hyposensitive, or both to touch, depending on the type of touch. Books like uh, Autism and Appropriate Touch and An exceptional children's guide to touch can be very helpful as we are learning and teaching these skills. The circles program from the Stansfield Company uh, also does an excellent job at helping to identify the touch that may be appropriate based on our relationships with others. Now, the next major area after those rights uh, for training is uh, a healthy self-concept and self-confidence. you know, first, really in this healthy self confi- uh, concept and confidence is really uh, to develop an appreciation of ourselves and of others. This is a key skill and is closely related to perspective taking, intimacy, and consent. Appreciation of self and others helps us to remember that our behaviors affect both ourselves and others in our environment. As we get older, this further reminds us that our intimate relationships with our significant others are meant not only to meet our needs, but also to meet those needs of our partners. A common concern that is brought up by some partners of uh, individuals with ASD can be that they seem only concerned about their needs and they may seem to neglect the needs of their partners. This can occur both when each of the partners has ASD as well as when one partner is uh, neurotypical and the other partner has ASD. We can begin working on this appreciation of self and others really early on, and really as early as three to five years old, as individuals develop some inhibitory control and flexibility skills, such as the ability to demonstrate the correct response for a situation while inhibiting a well-rehearsed or well-learned response. And this is important because as we do that, we learn that we don't have to act a particular way just because that may be how we normally would do it we can act a different way that's appropriate for this contextual situation. This early development is built uh, upon during childhood, adolescence, and adulthood as we develop the mature skills of appreciating ourselves and our partners in a mature relationship. One part of developing an appreciation for self and others is privacy awareness. And it's important that all individuals develop an understanding of concepts related to the differences between public and private discussions, behaviors, and activities. As we discussed in previous podcasts, expectations around what is appropriate in these areas changes over the lifespan of individuals. Where an infant may be able to touch their genitals in public without any social ramifications, an adolescent or adult who does so may be subject to social ramifications at the minimum and may actually be subject to criminal proceedings. These changes in rules and expectations will need to be explicitly taught to some individuals with ASD. Because again, those changes in rules are really that hidden curriculum again. They're not explicit uh, and they're not explicitly taught often. So we need to bring those out into uh, the explicit awareness. Now, a second area that we would focus on for training in this uh, particular area of things is self-worth. And self-worth is key, is a key skill in our development of appreciation for ourselves and others. Uh, our sense of self-worth can be impacted on both by environmental factors, such as socioeconomic level or family systems, and more internal factors, such as mental health and perceived competence. Individuals with ASD can be at risk for development of low self-worth Due to ableism, which we discussed more in depth during the third podcast, social isolation, perceived incompetence at uh, social interactions, uh, dependence upon caregivers and others, and mental health issues. This is a skill that can, that can again start, we can again start uh, its work early in the individual's development, possibly again as early as the first three to five years of life as we work on developing healthy autonomy, mutual regulation, and interdependence. Now, a third area that we can work on that uh, relates to healthy self-concept and self-confidence is around taking responsibility for our own behaviors. We all go through periods in our development where it's easier and more difficult to take responsibility for our own behaviors. Owning one's own behavior And the consequences that it incurs is important in a loving, mature relationship. An important part of our relationships with others is understanding how our behaviors affect them and how we can change our behaviors to more positively affect them. This is a key skill again, and it relates to some of the ones we've just talked about uh, and how to express one's sexuality while respecting the rights of others. Now a fourth uh, area in this uh, particular one is uh, for training is identifying our values and living by those values. The rules that we learn early in life grow later into the values that we live. This transition from more mechanistic rules to more abstract values can be difficult for some individuals with ASD as they have difficulty with both the flexibility required in this act and the more abstract nature of these values. We can begin working on this in middle childhood to early adolescence as individuals are ready. And again, the idea of identifying our values and living our values allows us to meet many of those rights that we talked about, you know, those basic human rights uh, that, that we have. Now, uh, the last year we're going to talk about uh, in this particular area of training is self-advocacy. And self-advocacy is referred to as the ability to articulate one's needs and make informed decisions about the supports necessary to meet those needs. Self-advocacy incorporates such skills as assertiveness, awareness of strengths and challenges, effective decision-making, critical thinking skills, and looking and asking for help. Unfortunately, in teaching self-advocacy, we may become focused on the individual's disability rather on their strengths and challenges both. So as with the other areas of these uh, in the healthy self-concept and self-confidence skills and abilities, this has its roots in early childhood as uh, children start to learn skills related to trusting that others will help them when needed and knowing when they need help and when they can do things on their own. And again, this can be challenging for many individuals with autism. So it's important that we are overtly working on uh, self-advocacy, not just from the standpoint of identifying when we need help, but also identifying when we can do things on our own, when we can be uh, competent and confident at uh, doing those things. Now, the next major area of training is options for healthy sexual identity, orientation, and expression. And the first aspect of that is really around identity. And the term term identity comes from the Latin noun identitas, which I'm hoping I said correctly, uh, which means the same. The term referring to a person's, this term uh, is referring to a person's mental image of him or herself and implies some sameness with others in a particular way. So each individual may have a number of different identities, such as an ethnic identity, a religious identity, or a national identity. Now, one identity that can have significant impacts on, our, uh, on us our, 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 and on our sexual orientation expression is our sexual identity. Uh, and sexual identity is how one thinks of oneself in terms of to whom one is romantically or sexually attracted. Sexual identity may also refer to sexual orientation identity, which is when uh, people identify or disidentify with a sexual orientation or choose not to identify with a sexual orientation. Sexual identity and sexual behavior are closely related to sexual orientation, but they can be distinguished from one another, with identity referring to an individual's conception of themselves Uh, Behavior referring to the actual sexual acts performed by the individual, and sexual orientation referring to romantic or sexual attractions toward persons of the opposite sex or gender, the same sex or gender, to both sexes, or more than one gender, or to no one. Uh, And one of the keys, uh, or I apologize, uh, uh, there's a good tool out there called the genderbred person that really goes over this, I think, in a a very uh, fun, but very nuanced way. So, understanding the options for healthy sexual identity, orientation, and expression, allows the individual with ASD to learn and apply their sexual desires and fantasies in safe, fulfilling fashions. It will also help them to identify when they may be pressured to do things that do not fit their identity, and which place them at risk of being exploited. Open and honest discussions in this area help uh, to remove the uh, taboo that can have significant impacts on individuals' sense of self, on their identities, and ultimately on their underlying mental health. Now, another area that we may work on uh, related to the overall area of uh, options for healthy sexual identity orientation and expression gets into uh, uh, self-sexual expression. And the most common method of self-sexual exploration is through masturbation. And masturbation serves to inform us as to what feels good to us, what pressures, body parts, sex toys, uh, sensations, and rhythms are most pleasurable for us. For most people, masturbation is a way of achieving orgasm, and it is often the case that we become the experts on what works best for us to achieve that goal as a part of uh, uh, masturbation so even as we're looking at more uh, sex with others masturbation can form our way of understanding our own bodies so for many individuals masturbation may be their first and for some their only source of sexual expression now things we may explore uh, explore around uh, self-sexual expression may include as we were just talking healthy masturbation But also beyond that, um, how to enjoy sexual feelings without necessarily acting uh, on them and about our sexual fantasies uh, and both when they are appropriate and when they may not be. As we've discussed before, there are a number of messages that come from online or other sources of media that can impact on how individuals understand and express their sexual feelings and fantasies. There's also, because of the nature of these messages, opportunities for individuals to have their interests, desires, and or fantasies exploited by others so that they can then be victimized. Learning about sexual fantasies and how to enjoy them without acting on them can help to protect the individual from being exploited and or victimized. Now, the next area that we'll look at under this is really our sexual orientation identity and expression with others. And as we mentioned before, sexual orientation is an inherent or immutable, enduring, emotional, romantic, or sexual attraction to other people. And really, this is broken down into a number of different areas. I'm just going to give a a couple of, uh, or I'm going to give about four different examples. But you might have an individual who has a a heterosexual uh, orientation, and that is a person who is emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to members of the opposite gender. Um, There's homosexuality, or a situation where a person is emotionally, romantically, or uh, sexually attracted to members of the same gender. Bisexuality, where a person is emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to more than one sex, gender, or gender identity. uh, Though not necessarily simultaneously and in the same way or to the same degree. And there may be individuals who fit more of an asexual Uh, orientation where there's a lack of sexual attraction or desire for other people. The next major area of training is options for healthy gender identity and expression. And gender identity is a fundamental identity. Um, Gender identity refers to one's innermost concept of self as male, female, a blend of both or, or neither, how individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. One's gender identity can be the same or different from their sex assigned at birth. And when we look at these, some important concepts are things like gender expression, which are the external appearance of one's gender identity, usually expressed through behavior, clothing, haircut or voice, and which may or may not conform to socially defined behaviors and or characteristics typically associated with being either masculine or feminine. Often gender identity will develop in accordance with with, uh, one's physical gender characteristics. A baby with an XY sex uh, chromosome and male genitalia will generally uh, be assigned to the male gender and will show male typical behaviors and have male gender identity. But for a number of different reasons, an individual may develop a gender identity that is not in accordance with their external genitalia. In these cases, they may or may not demonstrate behaviors and and express an identity that is different than cultural expectations. Now, some uh, examples of different gender identities and expressions include individuals who uh, demonstrate more of an androgynous or identify and or present as neither uh, distinguishably uh, masculine or feminine, uh, feminine, Uh, Cisgender, which is a term used to describe a person whose gender identity aligns with those typically associated with the sex uh, assigned to them at birth. Transgender, which is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectations based on the sex they were assigned at birth. Being transgender does not imply any specific sexual orientation. Therefore, transgender people may identify as straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, etc. Another is gender uh, non-conforming, which is a broad term referring to people who do not behave in a way that conforms to the traditional expectations of their gender or whose gender expression does not fit neatly into another category. Uh, Another is genderqueer, and genderqueer people typically reject notions of static categories of gender and embrace a fluidity of gender identity and often, though not always, uh, sexual orientation. People who identify as genderqueer may see themselves as being both male and female, neither male or female, or as falling completely outside these categories. There's some uh, some evidence that individuals with ASD may be at risk for uh, gender-related issues and gender identity-related issues. Uh, Including gender dysphoria, which is a clinically significant distress caused when a person's assigned birth gender is not the same as the one with which they identify. This distress and the potential mental health issues that can accompany it may place the individual with ASD at more risk of exploitation and victimization. That's it. Thus, it's essential that we work to help individuals to develop healthy gender identities. Now, the next major area for training is uh, sex education, and sex education, to a large extent, gets discussed uh, in a lot of a number of different areas. So, I'm not going to spend a long time on this. Um, I'll give some different areas, uh, you know, some major areas: human development, uh, which includes uh, puberty and adolescent development, social emotional development. Uh, physical development. Uh, Another major area is sexual health, which includes uh, pregnancy and reproduction, sexually transmitted diseases and HIV. Um, A really important one is uh, personal safety, um, which is how to discriminate between life-enhancing sexual behaviors and those that are harmful to self and others. Uh, How to practice uh, health-promoting behaviors, uh, including regular uh, health checkups, Uh, Female sexual health checkups, uh, male sexual health checkups, um, identifying and avoiding and preventing uh, sexual abuse, assault, violence, or exploitation. And the final area of uh, personal safety is what services are available and how to access services if you've been victimized. Um, So personal safety is a really uh, important area and it shouldn't be minimized in our discussions. Now, another major area under sex education is really uh, society and culture and understanding and assessing the impact of family, culture, media and societal messages on one's thoughts, feelings, values and behaviors related to sexuality is one of the key uh, parts of uh, teaching around society and culture. And we wanna work on individuals being able to critically examine the world around them for biases based on gender, sexual orientation, uh, culture, ethnicity, race, and or disability. Now, there are some, under sex, uh, when we look at sexual education, there are some uh, things particularly related to autism uh, and or uh, comorbid mental health related factors that are important to, to cover. Um, One, you know, when we look at social cognition, uh, perspective taken in empathy, uh, understanding and expression of nonverbal cues and hidden and the hidden curriculum are all things that are actually pretty important as we're working to understand uh, concepts like consent, um, whether this person wants to be touched or not be touched, how they feel about things. Um, because many of the cues are very subtle and they, they need to be um, they need to be monitored fairly closely as we're with others Now uh, another area under autism and and or comorbid mental health related factors relates to regulation and individuals with ASD may have a number of different challenges with regulation that may need to be addressed throughout development. Uh, they may need to Uh, develop skills um, both through habilitation or compensate Uh, let me start that one over they may need to uh, develop skills both through uh, habilitation or compensation for and or amelioration of the impact of difficulties in these areas on their development and expression of mature and healthy uh, relationships and sexuality you know and one really good example of this is around sensory Um, uh, Sensory uh, defensiveness, sensory uh, processing Um, So sensory components of intimacy may be very difficult for individuals with autism And they may be difficult for many individuals uh, at that matter Um, Sexual expression, intimacy, and romance are inherently uh, sensory acts Uh, Sensitivity to certain aromas can affect the tolerance for body odors cleaning products, cologne, and perfumes that limit the contact with other people in uh, public spaces. Due to tactile sensitivity, gestures of reassurance or affection, for example, a touch on the forearm or a hug, can be perceived as an overwhelming, restricting, and unpleasant sensation. The typical partner may resent the obvious lack of enjoyment in response to affectionate touch and avoidance of tactile experiences during intimate sensual or sexual moments. Sex itself often involves sharing bodily fluids and very close con- uh, interaction of body uh, bodies against each other. For this reason, it can be a potentially extremely pleasant or unpleasant experience for someone with ASD and sensory issues. It's important that we explore uh, an individual's particular sensory needs uh, with, with many individuals with ASD at different life stages and find ways for them to address their needs, as well as how they can communicate around this very sensitive area with their partners. Um, and again, I think that's one of the real keys here. It's the understanding and awareness of what uh, my needs may be and how do I communicate that to my partner so that we can have a mature and healthy relationship around these things. Uh, Often when we think about sensory, sensory is something we think about with younger kids. but We don't think about as individuals get into adulthood, those same sensory um, needs are present and may affect uh, the healthy uh, uh, sexual uh, expression that they can have with another partner. So another area of regulation is around emotional processing and regulation. And here are a couple of examples of how difficulties with emotional processing and regulation may impact on individuals with ASD's relationships, health, relationship health and safety. So research uh, has uh, shown that uh, emotional processing can be difficult for some individuals with autism. It can be even more difficult for individuals with autism to understand the emotions of others when the emotions re- expressed are deceptive, uh, as they may be Uh, the case when interacting with a possible sexual offender. Uh, It's been found that uh, high-functioning children with autism were less able to identify facial expressions that uh, depicted deceptive emotions and were less able to understand the reasons why someone would display a deceptive facial expression compared with age and gender match control children. And offender's attempt to gain trust from potential victims and often do so by being deceptive. Therefore, they may display deceptive emotions that may, be, that may not be recognized by some children with autism. Now, another area under emotion processing that uh, may alternatively um, be looked at is during moments of personal distress, when empathy and words uh, and gestures of affection would be anticipated as a means of emotional repair, the typical partner may be left alone to get over it by their partner with uh asd and this is not a callous act uh for the partner with with asperger's or asd the most effective emotional repair mech- mechanism is often solitude and he or she assumes that that is or may assume that this is also the most effective emotional repair mechanism for his or her partner the partner with asd May also not know what to do or may choose to do nothing because of a fear of doing something that would make the situation worse. And at times, we can, uh, so, you know, those are a couple of examples of uh, how emotion regulation shows up at different times in life and how it can certainly um, impact both on safety in the first example as well as uh, our. Uh, intimate and relationship with our partner uh, in the second example. Unfortunately, at times we can uh, abandon work on emotional processing and regulation in favor of of working on more complex skills related to social cognition, uh, such as perspective taking. It's important to remember that these skills can be fundamental to identifying risky situations in people. And they are essential in the relationship development and management with partners. Now another area we'll talk about really briefly is uh, on mental health impacts on sexuality. And this is an area I don't think uh, is discussed often enough with really anyone, but I think it, particularly individuals with autism who can be more susceptible to uh, certain mental health uh, uh, impacts uh, I think it's important to know kind of how they, those mental health impacts might affect um, sexuality. So co-occurring uh, disorders may in and of themselves create difficulties and challenges with development of relationships, sexuality, and or gender identity. Ex- anxiety and depression may decrease the likelihood that individuals will engage in relationships with others. Uh, These, as well as other mental health issues, may impact on desire, arousal, and the ability to climax when an individual does engage in sexual activity with themselves or others. These may increase risk of excessive or inappropriate internet use, which can lead to unhealthy understanding and expectations around gender identity, sexuality, and relationships. And we really have discussed that uh, a few times now. And finally, uh, the potential impacts of individuals' mental health diagnoses really should be discussed with the individual as a part of self-advocacy training. Now, another area that uh, closely ties in with this is really around uh, the medication impacts on sexuality. And I don't think that this is an area that uh, is talked about often enough. Um, particularly as individuals are becoming adolescents and adults, it's important for them to understand that the medications that they take may impact on uh, sexual, uh, sexual desire and uh, arousal. Uh, as well as their uh, ability to, and, and desire to engage in uh, sexual interaction. So, Medications used by individuals with ASD to ameliorate symptoms of co-occurring disorders may impact on sexual function. An epidemiological study of adults with ASD first diagnosed with ASD in childhood approximately 30 years prior uh, observed that 71% of the sample were taking at least one prescription medication and 58.9% were taking one or more psychotropic medications with antipsychotics used by over one-third of the sample despite an anxiety disorder listed as the most frequent comorbid psychiatric diagnosis. Possible effects, uh, side effects of psychotropic medications uh, on uh, sexuality includes uh, difficulty with uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, desire and arousal problems, fatigue, sedation, and a difficult, uh, difficulty with orgasm. Uh, and so please see Higgins, uh, there's a Higgins 2007 article that's really good for this, uh, for a more thorough discussion on the impacts of psychotropic medications on sexual development and expression. But it's also important that we're, that these are discussed with the individuals and that the individual has the ability to discuss the impact uh, of uh, their medications with their prescribing physician. Now, another area we might look at uh, is uh, relationship training. And relationship training is something that we talk about a lot with individuals with autism, but often we kind of focus more on the peers or the dating aspect of relationships. And when we start to get into more mature aspects of relationships and, you know, when we look at parenting and things like that, sometimes we can uh, drop that discussion out. So here are some areas that um, in uh, looking at things I think are really important. Uh, One is obviously uh, personal and interpersonal skills, uh, effective communication skills with family, peers and partners, uh, perspective taking, empathy. Uh, negotiation, problem solving, and conflict management, active listening skills. And a big part of, uh, this is also personal boundaries and personal boundaries existing in many different aspects. Um, also part of relationship training really is around families, including parenting and raising children. And, uh, it's interesting. It's hard to find a lot out there on parenting, raising children, uh, Uh, for individuals with autism. There's a lot about raising a child with uh, autism, but not about uh, being a parent who has autism raising children. Now, another one is on uh, romantic relationships and dating, uh, friendships, uh, marriage and lifetime commitments, uh, appropriate expression of love and intimacy, And finally, personal safety. And again, we talked a little bit about personal safety again, and I'm just going to bring back a few of those concepts just to look at, you know, how to identify and avoid exploitative and manipulative relationships, uh, signs of emotional grooming, uh, relationship and dating violence and how to avoid it, and what services are available and how to access services if you have been victimized. Now the final area that we'll discuss are some protective measures, and this is from uh, the West Virginia Safe Training and Collaboration Toolkit, uh, serving uh, sexual violence victims with disabilities. And this is you know again, this is what we're looking for uh, that individuals with ASD and/or their families can take uh, as pre- uh, prevention or protective mechanisms to help reduce the risk that uh, individuals are not placed in a position to be exploited or victimized. So one of the things is we want to make ensure uh, access to communication methods, uh, phones, internet, etc. If help would be needed, um, and that we take that for granted, but that ability to have access and then the ability to use that uh, can be quite difficult for some individuals. We want to minimize uh, financial dependency on only one person uh, and include more than one person in any financial arrangements. Want to receive and understand, uh, want to make sure the person receives and understands basic information on sexual violence, personal boundaries, personal safety, and community resources. Want to require that caregivers and or guardians be screened, including a background check uh, with regular evaluations that include input from uh, the consumer themselves and support people, ongoing training on healthy sexuality, and uh, a development of stress management skills. And finally, we want to reduce isolation for uh, the individual through multiple unscheduled social connections with family, friends, church, neighbors, social networks, etc. that occur uh, with the person uh, or in person or via the phone or internet. So this has been a discussion today of training as it uh, pertains to the individual with autism. In the next podcast, I'll cover... uh, Uh, the next area of prevention that that enhances creation of an environment that's incompatible with victimization, which is a training for families and staff working with individuals with autism. Now, an outline for this podcast, along with the related bibliography, can be found on my uh, FlexibleMindTherapy.com website. Thank you for joining me today.